Dylan Gabriel will start for the Ducks in 2024. Does he have a long leash with Dante Moore behind him? Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you have not already, please like, comment, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash locked on college terms and conditions apply we'll talk quarterbacks we'll talk secondary and we'll talk another thing that we'll mention you know a little bit later in the show but dylan gabriel comes over to oklahoma from oregon as does dante moore best offseason of any team in the country if you're talking about adding transfer quarterbacks happened in eugene there is no other team that i am aware of that didn't just get a high-end veteran starting quarterback for 2024 but also got a promising immensely talented and somewhat experienced quarterback for 2025 nobody else did that these were two of the five or ten best quarterbacks available in the transfer portal according to 24 7 sports and oregon getting both of them is a great great thing for the ducks it is a unique situation though because you don't typically see teams do this i've talked on this show before about how college football and and where Oregon is at and, and the success that the program is having is a year-to-year proposition. You, you are all in for one year. You're pushing all your chips into the middle of the table every year. Make the best out of this season. Utilize the portal. Forego, you know, high school players' development who might otherwise have gotten a chance to play. If you can find someone who's better, you go for it. But the Dante Moore move is a unique one in that It is having an eye to the future. It does think about what could be to come. But in 2024, I wonder what the leash is going to be like. Now, I'm not sitting here expecting Dylan Gabriel to struggle. He's going to have a good offensive line. He's going to have very good weapons. He's going to have very good running backs as well. He has everything he needs to succeed. I think he's capable of being about the same guy he was a year ago, which is just shy of 70% completion. Bo Nix in this offense last year, of course, set the NCAA single-season record in completion percentage. I don't anticipate Dylan Gabriel doing that, but he could certainly get over 70%, which would be a career high. Last year, he was about 3,600 yards passing, 30 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. He ran for 12 touchdowns as well. He's got solid mobility. I think he could improve upon those numbers a bit, not enough to be in the Heisman discussion, but let's say he struggles. Let's have a flashback to 2021. This is a different situation than Anthony Brown struggling, Oregon fans wanting a change, and Ty Thompson being available, but not actually getting a chance to play. Because this is a guy in Dante Moore who has started college football games, who has seen real action. Now, he didn't do particularly well, he, he had 11 to 9 touchdown interception ratio last year. He completed just 54% of his passes. He threw for under 200 yards per game. Was he as well supported at UCLA as he would be in this Oregon offense if Gabriel were to struggle mightily or if he were to go down with an injury? No, he was not. He is better supported 
at Oregon. But th th this thought came about because of a question that was sent in last week about, hey, do you think Dylan Moore or Dante Moore rather could push Dylan Gabriel at all in in that starting quarterback role? I don't have any qualms about Dylan Gabriel being Oregon's starting quarterback. I don't have any doubts about that. I think it's a pretty long leash. I, I think Gabriel would have to my, majorly, not minorly, majorly regress from what he has shown as a college quarterback in order for Dan Lanning and Will Stein to say, all right, let's go with Dante Moore and see what happens there. And I can't see that being the case. That said, is it the longest leash in the conference? No, I don't think so. Because when Ty Thompson was waiting in the wings and Anthony Brown was struggling just to complete passes and on fourth down was throwing it behind the sticks and all that sort of stuff, Oregon fans often were, were clamoring for Ty Thompson to play because the offense wasn't good enough. It, it, it was not. And Oregon was ultimately done in by the offensive limitations that existed in that 2021 season. The difference here is that Dante Moore has played before. We didn't know what we had in Ty Thompson. You know what you have in Dante Moore. A guy who, by the way, has better physical traits than Dylan Gabriel. I, I mean, you couldn't say that entirely about Anthony Brown and Ty Thompson. Ty was taller. He had a bigger arm, but his motion wasn't quite as refined. Brown's was a little bit loopy, but still, I don't think Ty in his freshman year threw as catchable of a ball. If you watch Dante Moore highlights and you, you ignore the lowlights, it is very impressive. He was a highly touted recruit for a reason. He's, you know, 6'2", 6'3". He's got a good arm. He is fairly mobile. I, I don't know that he's quite the runner that Gabriel is, but he's bigger. He's got a stronger arm. And unlike Ty Thompson, he's got some experience sitting there. So if Gabriel were to really, really start to struggle, yeah, they might think about it. But I think it really comes down to what Dante Moore does in spring football. And Dan Lanning was asked about this on the National Signing Day show on on the Oregon Sports Network. You know, how much are these true freshmen going to play? He said, that's going to be up to them. I think that applies to Dante Moore, right? Not necessarily how much is he going to play, but how good of a chance could he have to play? What What, what sort of pressure could you put on Dylan Gabriel to perform at a high level? I think that comes down to the work that Dante Moore pitched puts in, how much he can improve and start to clean up the mistakes that he showed at UCLA. So I think it's a pretty solidly long leash for Dylan Gabriel. I don't think Dante Moore is, you know, the guy they secretly want to be the starter. They want him to take it over or anything like that. But I don't think it's the longest leash in the world because you're not staring at, you know, Jeff Lockie back there at backup who's never played a meaningful snaps or Taylor Alley, who I think was a walk on and was mostly the holder. And he had to come in when Vernon Adams went down in that season. The drop off is not as severe. So it's certainly a consideration. But to get to that point, I think Dylan Gabriel would have to re regress in a way that I, I just can't see him doing. So, you know, you, you know who you are out there when when you send in that particular question. I touched on it last week. I wanted to expand upon it. That's how I feel. But I'm curious as to your thoughts as well. So drop in the YouTube comments or hit me up on X, formerly known as Twitter. We'll talk about another 2024 recruit later. But another question came in via subtext. You get priority mailbag access over there for those who are paying to support the show. Appreciate all of you. This question came in. Will Gatlin Bear be the fastest duck on the team? And where does he rank among the fastest players in college football? For those who forgot or are unaware, Gatlin Bears, the 2024 recruit who won't come to Oregon until 2026 because he's taking a two-year LDS mission. 
So I did as much digging on this as I could find. There isn't a great layout of all the fastest players in college football, but Gatlin Bear ran a 10.15 in the 100-meter dash, which is absolutely crazy. In 2022, that recruiting class, the fastest player, I think in the 2023 class is actually what it was, the fastest player in that class or what they were looking at, or or, excuse me, I got myself backwards here. I'm a little bit tongue-tied at the moment. In 2022, there was a piece saying the fastest player in college football was Devon Achan, then at Texas A&M, now with the Miami Dolphins, who ran a 10.04 100-meter dash. Zachariah Branch, who was a five-star freshman at USC this past year, really dynamic, explosive player, he ran a 10.00 in the 100-meter dash. So I don't have the exact number, but I think it's safe to say that when Bear arrives, he will be in the top 5% of fastest college football players, maybe even in the top 2% or 1%. It's certainly up there. For comparison, some of the fastest 100-meter dash times on Oregon's roster right now, Roderick Pleasant, his personal best in high school was 10.14. Kamari Terrell, and he was regarded as one of the fastest players, maybe the fastest in the 2023 recruiting cycle. Kamari Terrell ran a 10.76. Speed was his trademark coming out of high school. And Ryan Pelham, who's got some good speed, 11.09. So Bear is certainly going to be a top 1%, 2% sort of guy in the speed department is one of the many reasons I'm high in him, and I think he can be the next Troy Franklin for the Ducks. What about Aiden Breland? What about the highly rated defensive tackle, but no longer a five-star? I'll touch on that as well. All that coming up after we talk about LinkedIn, of course. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free, which is a really good price. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. So easy, in fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours post your job for free over there at linkedin.com slash locked on college two and a half million small businesses use linkedin for hiring that's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions apply So for the second straight year Oregon landed a five-star defensive line recruit from the state of California and by the time he enrolled and got to campus with the ducks, He had lost a star. Oh, no. It's not that big of a deal. So I I can't tell you the exact detailed process as to what goes into this. Evaluations, ratings, I don't know, overthinking the room. But here's what I know. If you were excited about Aiden Breland when he committed to Oregon as a five-star defensive lineman, you should still be excited that he's committed as a highly rated four-star defensive lineman. And the same applied for Mateo Uyunglele, who you may remember, was a regular player for the Ducks this year, had a nice season, couple of sacks, some TFLs, was out there regularly at the kind of, you know, jack or edge position, whatever you want to call it. You know, there are all sorts of defensive roles there uh, along the front. But Breland is someone who I want to break down. And if you want me to go in in depth on a recruit and kind of what I see from him and everything, by all means, let me know. But I'm planning to go through everybody in this 2024 cycle at some point anyway. And most importantly, come up with a comparison for who he reminds me of and uh, how that helps Oregon. So 6'4", 290 pounds, modern day high school. That's a pretty good start. 
He is he is an athletic, physical anomaly. Just like Mateo, he had that downgrade at the end, but I, I don't feel any differently about him. We, I'll, I'll get to the timeline in just a sec. Actually, no, I'll do timeline first, and then I'll get to the, the analysis from 24-7 Sports here. So this is someone who projects to make an impact as a true freshman. Brian Smith has come on this show before and said he's as ready to play at the collegiate level as you can be. And with Oregon's lack of returning depth along the defensive line, I'll be shocked if Breland isn't at the very least like Mateo, a rotation guy. He might not be the first defensive lineman out there on the field. You know, I think right now Oregon's starting four up front would probably look something like defensive end Jordan Birch, defensive tackle Jamari Caldwell, um, or nose guard if that's how they want to distinguish it. Defensive tackle Keonware Hudson, maybe. Man, that guy's been there for quite for quite a long time. And then at that edge or jack linebacker position, could be Mateo, could be Purchase, could be Tuioti. Again, it depends on the package that 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 they're going with defensively. But on the interior. I think Aiden Breland is going to play meaningful snaps in, in 2024, both because of his talent, his physical readiness, and the depth chart that he's going into there. So here's what Greg Biggins of 24-7 Sports had to say about Aiden Breland, and that's, this is going to translate directly uh, in, into my comparison for him. Quote, Breland can be somewhat of an enigma, but his ceiling is as high as any defensive tackle in the country. You just don't see many 6'5", 290-pound linemen with this frame and his ability to move. He's a very athletic kid who can play inside or outside. I'll give you a hint. I am not going to comp him to Brandon Dorless. I'll explain why. He's a naturally strong kid who shows toughness at the point of attack and can beat a tackle with his get-off and quickness off the edge. He'll flash big playability, but consistent dominance is what we've been waiting on with Breland. You would love to see him impact the game more on a down-to-down basis than he has shown thus far at the college level. If the Ducks coaches can keep him motivated and get him going, and then head coach Dan Lanning is a perfect coach for him. There's no doubt he has first-round ability. Or he said, and head coach Dan Lanning is a perfect coach and fit for him. So I agree with him there. When I watch Breland on film, the biggest thing that stands out to me is his power. And he is quick enough to play on the edge. And Brandon Dorless is a guy who went inside and went outside over the last couple of years for Oregon and was really, really good. And he's someone who did not come to college with as high of expectations. Dorless was just a measly three-star recruit, but you talk about development. Brandon Dorless has been that sort of guy, and he's going to go to the NFL, probably get drafted, I would guess, anywhere from the third to fifth rounds uh, would be my my guess as an amateur, shall we say, NFL draft scout. So when I look at Aiden Breland and when I read that specific analysis from Greg Biggins at 24-7, I look at Breland, I see Eric Armstead. Now, Armstead is a couple inches taller. He just had a fantastic game in the Super Bowl. The 49ers lost, but there were a couple pro ducks, by the way, that I got to shout out. Diamondor Lenore forced the fumble of Isaiah Pacheco inside the five, and Armstead was everywhere. I, I mean, he, he was utterly fantastic. The reason I look at Breland and see more Armstead than Dorless is when Dorless really became the guy who we saw be an all-conference caliber player the last couple of years, his most elite trait 
was his quickness and his hand movement. Now you heard you heard Biggin's description of him and breakdown talking about you know his hand movement and why that's really good. And, and I think that he's got that. But to me, what stands out more is the power. And when I think Armstead and what he was at Oregon and what he is in the NFL. He lines up on the interior, and he just drives guards and centers back into the quarterback. I think that's where Breland has a chance to make the most of an impact, at least as a true freshman. He can get better with his pass rush moves, to be sure, but I think that that power and get off and just brute strength is his best quality right now, and I think that that is going to serve him well to make an impact on the interior. But the motivation part of it is the other reason why I went right to Eric Armstead, because that was the exact same knock. Now, again, Armstead was 6'8", Breland is 6'4 and a half, 6'5", so he's a few inches shorter. However, Armstead was also someone that played inside and outside, and who also had motivation questions. I have not been a fan of many questions that get asked about Oregon prospects in the draft over the last several years. When Eric Armstead came out and they asked questions about his motivation and consistency, I thought those were completely valid. But, you know, there were some doubts about Panay Sewell or Justin Herbert or, you know, all all these guys. Or Kayvon Thibodeau as well. I thought all of those were ridiculous. I thought Armstead was valid because I remember watching Armstead play along that great defensive line with DeForest Buckner and thinking, man, that guy should be making more of an impact more often. And and hopefully Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy are going to be able to get the most out of him because this is a really, really high ceiling kid, like all conference caliber, NFL caliber sort of guy. That is what he can be. And he needs to make an impact for the Ducks in 2024 because the defensive line is just not that thin with experience. You've got Jamari Caldwell and... I mean, you've, you've got Keanu Hudson, Ben Roberts, too. I just wonder who's going to pop from the 2023 class and how much Breland plays. That That's what I'm watching for up front. But I think Aiden Breland has got immense potential, and I think he is Eric Armstead waiting to happen. That's where I see his ceiling. I kind of got some Casey Rogers vibes, too. And I felt like Rodgers, not because of effort necessarily, I think Breland's a little bit more physically gifted. I felt like Rodgers' impacts on games kind of came and went. Like when he was there, it was like, whoa, you know, like Utah last year. He had a great game against Cal this season. Colorado, he was everywhere. And then he would would have games where he kind of disappeared. I think that could be a suitable comparison for Aiden Breland too. But I think that Eric Armstead with, you know, the, the recruiting profile, the motivation, the inside, outside, the size and the physicality and the power. I think that's where the Aiden Breland, Eric Armstead comparison hits home for me. But we'll, we'll see how it ends up playing out. Of course, the season is quite a ways away. We're almost halfway through February, though. I mean, that's got to count for something, right? Like I'm counting down the days at least April 27th because that's the Oregon spring game. And I got to tell you. There are going to be a lot of things to watch in that particular football game. And I'm just excited to see everything. I want to see Gabriel. I want to see Dante Moore's development. I was talking about those guys earlier. I just, man, can't wait for football because basketball is not giving me a ton to be hopeful about right now. First, though, is this the best Oregon secondary since 2019's elite unit? 
I'll answer that question after I talk about FanDuel because you can get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be a money line betting against the Detroit Pistons or the Portland Trailblazers. Those are pretty solid bets lately. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Everything you want over there, everything you could possibly need is over there at FanDuel. FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Fascinating question here. This came in from Peyton via the X formerly known as Twitter, direct messages. He thinks this could be the best Oregon secondary since 2019. I want to ask the question, can it be better than 2019? Last year's was quite good. This year's can be even better than that. But 2019's, to me, is the best secondary that I've seen Oregon have. And this is how that particular lineup went. D'Amador Lenore was just playing in the Super Bowl. Verone McKinley led the country in interceptions. Brady Breeze made an NFL roster, Javon Holland, bona fide stud, and Thomas Graham, who I think is still bouncing around in the NFL. So that particular lineup of guys on the back end of your defense, boy, I I don't know if it gets a whole heck of uh, a lot better. And Peyton's hot take, I was saving this and you know confirming that this is indeed what it was in my notes. Maybe a hot take, but I think this year's secondary is going to be far better than 2019 secondary. Secondary. I said what I said. That's a flaming hot take. Flaming hot take. But here's the lineup. Lenore McKinley, Breeze, Holland, Graham, with a rotating trio of guys that included Mikhail Wright who, and DJ James, who were freshmen, and Nick Pickett. Who was, you know, kind of a solid, he was like a he was like a then Steve Stevens, just kind of a solid guy, nothing special, but nothing terrible either. In 2024, I expect the top five in the secondary to look like this. Jabbar Muhammad, Kobe Savage, the Kansas State transfer, Taishim Johnson, Brandon Johnson, Jaleel Florence. Only two of those guys were in the secondary last year. Brandon Johnson, Kobe Savage, Jabbar Muhammad, the new guys. The back end rotators who will, you know, play significant snaps for the Ducks, Dante Manning, Cam Alexander, the UTSA transfer, and Nico Reed. Maybe Roderick Pleasant, maybe, uh, you know, Dalen Austin. I mean, there are, there are a bunch of names in there. Kamari Terrell, Colin Gill. Like, there, there are a bunch of guys, right? There, there are a bunch of just names. Solomon Davis, too. You got the true freshman, Ife Obadegwu, coming in. Like, lots of names that could kind of rotate in to that spot. But... Let's go just kind of mano a mano. Who would I rather have as a corner? And then we'll see if Peyton's take is too hot for me at the end. D'Amador Lenore, Jabbar Muhammad. I'm taking Jabbar. Kobe Savage, Verone McKinley. I'm taking Verone McKinley. I like Savage. I, I do. What's not to like? Couple of all Big 12 second team conference selections while, while at Kansas State. I like him. I don't know that he's going to do what Verone McKinley did, <laughs> which was be one of the most ball-hawking safeties Oregon has had recently. Brady Breeze and Tysheem Johnson. I don't know if this is a hot take, 
but I'm taking Brady Breeze. And I, Tysheem Solid, Tysheem Solid, I'm taking Brady Breeze by, ju- by just a sliver. That one's like almost a wash. So if you're keeping tally at home, that's two points in favor of the 2019 secondary. Next safety spot, Brandon Johnson, Javon Holland. Nobody touches Javon Holland here. It just, it just, it just doesn't happen. The final one does go 2024. Jaleel Florence, I take him over Thomas Graham just because he's a little bit bigger, and I think their talent is about equal. The guys that are rotating in, I probably lean the 2024 group, right? Mikhail Wright is a freshman. DJ James is a freshman. Nick Pickett versus Dante Manning, veteran Cam Alexander, talented transfer, and Nico Reed. I lean 2024 there, but I got to go off off the high end here. So that take is just a little bit too hot for me. I I like the boldness. I like the boldness. I respect it. But I I I, I would I, I would take Javon Holland, Brady Breeze, and Verone McKinley over Tyshim Johnson, Brandon Johnson, and Kobe Savage. That said, this year's secondary is going to be better than last year's secondary. And last year's secondary had two All Conference caliber guys on it in uh, in Evan Williams and Kyrie Jackson, who were second and first team All-Pac-12, respectively. And I expect this unit to be able to perform even better than that. Love the hot take, though. All right, let's close with some hoops talk. So, rough weekend for Oregon hoops. The women are just struggling, just straight up across the board. It is it is just a throwaway shorty. It's just, it's not, it's not going well. It's not going well. They lost to Colorado and Utah by a lot in both games. Not good. The men are 16-8. and eight. Off on Thursday. They need that to get Nate Biddle back healthy, but what a bad loss against Washington State. I don't know how else to describe it. It's not just that they lost. It's the manner in which they lost. They played a close competitive game and went 8-for-14 at the free throw line. They were outshot at the line 22-14, to 14 by the Cougs. Oregon's problem this year. There was a piece, I forget who wrote it, but somebody out there in the Oregon fan content community wrote a piece about Oregon's losses have looked the same. They can finally shoot, they can score, but they can't get stops. Now that Enfali Dante is there and playing at full strength, Oregon's defense is improved. It has dramatically improved, and Dante's a big part of that. They rebound well because of Dante. He blocks shots. He's a presence. He is that shot-blocking guy that Oregon has has been missing, right? K.J. Evans was kind of turning into that, but he's not in folly, Dante. And so the Ducks play a great defensive game against a really good Washington State team that, if they continue on this trajectory, will make the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2008. Kyle Smith, one heck of a basketball coach. Oregon put up 56 points on their home floor. 56 points. Great crowd, big game. I understand. This is where Oregon missed Keyshawn Bartholomew, who's out for the year because he got injured. This is where Oregon is missing him. Right here, right now. That game. That game right there. I had not watched a game yet without Keyshawn Bartholomew there where I thought, boy, they really could have used him. Not that he isn't always a valuable player, but I never felt like he was a difference. That game was a difference because Bartholomew comes off the bench and he's instant offense. And Oregon had 
no offense in this game. They had no consistent offense in this game. They could not shoot worth a lick. Now, Kuznard ended the game with 16 points. He fouled out late. He was 7 of 17 from the floor. He hit a big three late in the game. But here's the thing. I love the way Kuznard plays. He plays hard. He is the alpha. He is the leader out there. He should not be a number one go-to offensively. It should be Jackson Shellstad. The problem is that Shellstad was off. He was 3 for 12, and he's really been struggling lately. He has hit a freshman wall in a big way, and it is hurting this Oregon team. Kuznard, offensively, is so hit and miss. He can go off for 27 points. Let me check to see how many he had against Washington real quick because he played great. He's played great against Washington this year. He can hit some big shots. Yeah, he had 27 points on 17 shots against Washington. He had 16 points on 17 shots against Washington State. That is a that is a dramatically lower level of efficiency. And so though Kuznard's numbers numbers look okay, he and Shellstad were both off. And the next guy to create his own shot has been Keyshawn Bartholomew. And they didn't have that. And Oregon could not score. And it was more of an old school Dana Altman loss where your team plays great defense. Well, you know that's going to happen. They out-rebounded Washington State. They held the Cougs to 62 points. That's a great defensive outing. They couldn't score. And, and there is so much stagnation in the offense. It was just infuriating to watch. And, and what's frustrating with this team is that, number one, the injuries are once again just biting them in the butt. Nate Biddle didn't play this week because he's, I think, been battling an illness. He's, he's, he's back healthy now, but he's literally too sick to play, which is why it's good that Oregon has Thursday off before they play uh, Oregon State in their lone game this week on Saturday. Please, please, please win, win that basketball game. But or Oregon is essentially, I think they could lose one more game. Like where does this put them for the NCAA tournament is a question that we're asking ourselves right now. I think if Oregon were to only lose one more game, they could get an at-large NCAA tournament berth. My confidence level in them doing that is close to zero. It is it is close to zero. Because when you come out in a big game like that and go 4 of 18 from 3, 8 of 14 at the free throw line, and then the most frustrating moment of all, late in the game, down to Washington State at the free throw line, they hit the first, they miss the second, and four guys can't get the rebound. One guy for Washington State gets it. They hit the free throws. Game over. They they just they were not ready to grab the ball. It hit the rim. It came off quickly. It's an unfortunate bounce. You got to get the rebound. They they were expecting a make. It was a flashback, tragically, to Jordan Bell in the Final Four against North Carolina. He expected Joel Berry to make the free throw, and Oregon was expecting. I think it was Miles Rice to make the free throw, and he didn't. And so they weren't ready to get the rebound, and they didn't get it. Could have had a chance to go down and, and tie the game with a three. Like, that was kind of the summary of the game. But just the inability to shoot caught him for the first time. And this was the first time where I really felt, man, they could have used Keyshawn Bartholomew in this game. I, I mean, that would have been the quintessential moment. They're 16-8, and 8-5 eight, eight and five in Pac-12 play. 
really what we should be looking for at this point to get to the NCAA tournament before we have that uncomfortable conversation is can they get hot going into March and make a run in the tournament. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.